This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello there. Welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. The American Military Partner Association is the nation's largest resource and support network for the partners, spouses, families, and allies of Americans' LGBTQ service members and veterans. As a nonpartisan 501c3 nonprofit organization that was founded by the same-sex partners of active-duty service members, they're committed to education, advocacy, and support for our modern military families. They work to accomplish this mission by connecting LGBTQ member families, supporting them through the challenges of military service, honoring them for their commitment to our country, and serving them by advocating on their behalf. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with one of the founding board members of the American Military Partners Association about how the group got started, how they got to 50,000 members, the challenges that LGBTQ service members and their families and partners face, and what the organization is doing to help them overcome those challenges. Today's show is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union, which is proud to serve the armed forces, veterans, and their families. And if you're a member of the armed forces of the Department of Defense, they'd be proud to serve you, too. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Armin Brott. My conversation with the American Military Partner Association begins when our program continues right after this. Chris, you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. M2, M2. There's your comic book collection, the race car bed. I'm young at heart, but I put money into my 401k every paycheck. I'm taking control over my financial life, and that feels pretty grown-up to me. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Are those footy pajamas? This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad, and my guest for this part of today's show is Ashley Broadway-Mack, who's one of the founding board members and the current president of the American Military Partner Association, which we're going to hear a lot about. Probably not an organization you've heard of, but one that you probably would be interested in knowing about. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you folks are doing, and actually what, what the founding principles are and and what the organization is all about, because it's not the typical organization that we've been dealing with, although it, it obviously needs to be up there with, with ones that we've talked to about children and families and and uh, blue ribbon and gold ribbon and all sorts of things. It's an, another segment of the population that uh, probably people are not thinking about as much. Absolutely. So our organization uh, was founded under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and it basically uh, was a group of military partners because we couldn't be identified as spouses, obviously. And then once the um, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, we, you know, uh, I guess you could say came out and tried to become as visible as possible, not just as military partners, but a, you know, a partner, a spouse to the military personnel. And then, you know, not then we were able to, you know, say, hey, we are, you know, these, these, these 
unique military families, but we also have children. Because I think a lot of people didn't really think that um, military personnel under Don't Ask, Don't Tell were having children or adopting children or there was any family planning. So we felt the need for the organization to, um, you know, connect families like ours, give them support, um, and, and advocate for them. So, you know, we have been around since uh, 2011 when, when Donuts Don't Tell was repealed, and, you know, we are still true to our mission today. And can you give us rough ideas of how many people this is affecting, how many service members have partners? And, and you're talking about LGBTQ. Is that correct? Yeah. So we unfortunately don't have an exact number because um, DOD uh, tells us that they don't necessarily track that number, that that's not an identifier. Um, so what I can tell you is our organization has over 50,000 um, members and allies. So basically, you know, a member can be anyone who identifies as LGBTQ. It can be a parent of an LGBTQ kid. It can be a veteran who, you know, who identifies and or their spouse. And like I mentioned, we have thousands of allies as well. And these are people who are supportive of the LGBT military community. Okay, and just we'll talk about this a couple of times, but what's the uh, URL of the website if people want to get a little bit more information about how to join or how to become an ally or partner? Absolutely. So our website is www.militarypartners.org. Okay, partners with an S. Partners with an S. Okay, so tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing. I mean, are, you're, are you having educational events? Is it, are you trying to do legislation or work with the DOD to improve conditions or improve or you know, different kinds of, I, you answer. I'll just make up a bunch of stuff, but you could answer. Um, education is, is, is one of the um, key components of our, of our mission. And so ways that we uh, educate can be at the, um, you know, what we would call the uh, unit level. So that's a small unit on base to an installation or to um, a company, a corporate company. And we go in, we give, uh, you know, cultural competency, you know, uh, speeches, presentations, we speak on panels, uh, you know, we speak at various events so that we can inform the uh, public, both the civilian and the military public, about our organization, but not only just the organization, about, um, you know, things that affect our families on a daily basis. Yeah, I was thinking of not so much the organization. I mean, it's an interesting to know about the organization, but I mean, I, the things that you're doing, I mean, as far as if a service member, for example, feels that there's been some sort of discrimination or cultural competency issues, maybe it's not overt discrimination, maybe people don't know, they're just saying some things, you know, they can come to you and you can help resolve these kinds of things. Absolutely. Um, you know, the support is key. So if that were the case, if a service member came to us, then we would uh, give them advice. We have a, you know, military um, advisory council, and we would give that person advice on how to deal with that problem. We, on a, a weekly basis, uh, give advice to uh, families who are wanting to start a family, or maybe families who have children and are facing discriminations according to where they live. Because as many uh, many people don't realize, uh, family laws are, uh, you know, 
are followed by the state laws. There's no federal protections for our families. So if a family moves from, say, California to North Carolina, the family laws are extremely different. So we make sure we, you know, we provide our members with the education, the tools, the knowledge, the information we can to assist them. Well, give me an example of how that works. If, if uh, gay marriage, for example, is nationwide, so are you talking about couples that are not necessarily married that would have issues with, with uh, who can be the primary parent or who would be the secondary parent or if there's cases of divorce? Or, so, so give us an example. So we're, we, we focus, obviously, on um, uh, married couples, but sometimes we do you know, have, have, have single uh, s- uh, members have issues. But thinking about and focusing on the, the married couples, for instance, I live in Virginia with my spouse, and if, if we were to go through family planning together and I were to have a child, well, my spouse would have to petition the court to be on the birth certificate in the state of Virginia. And it is recommended by uh, LGBT law organizations and, um, you know, various various organizations, not just within the community, that not only, um, you know, we petition the court for her to be on the birth certificate, but also for her to d- take an extra step of second parent adoption. And this is recommended throughout the country, especially for military families, because that is just another uh, protection, because unfortunately we have seen um, we have seen you know people break up or you know divorce, and uh, the without that adoption, that is uh, that's that's not you know it's 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 not ironclad, and we've we, we've seen some uh, children a- or some children actually um, be I guess you could say um, not recognized by this this the second non biological parent. And and by that you mean not being able to have visitation or not being able to see the kids in cases of a breakup, yeah. So what about situations with where a family member is deployed, the service member is deployed and the spouse do the members of your organization are, are do they feel comfortable or welcome within spouses groups because there's on bases there's a lot of on base support groups for for the the families that are behind staying behind while the service members deployed do you do you try to integrate as much as you can into the general military military community or keep separate or how does that work I can say in the last few years that more and more families are sharing with me that they do feel accepted within their own installation. Um, you know, when 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 you know I first was recognized as a military spouse, it was extremely difficult. Um, we we weren't welcomed at base events. We weren't welcomed at unit events. But now I think as um, you know things have progressed, more and more are more and more. Uh, Members are are feeling more comfortable taking that step and trying to integrate into society. And I think that that's helped. What has helped is uh, mainstream organizations uh, like um, National Military Family Association, um, Blue Star Families. They have have built those strong bridges and have included our families in many of 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 you know their their outreach. So then it you know it it. It has helped to change hearts and minds of others who may have um, been a little more, um, you know, not uh, accepting years back. Changing the hearts and minds of adults sometimes is harder, sometimes it's easier. But I think changing hearts and minds of kids is, is a different thing. And I'm wondering how the kids in your group's families 
cope because kids can sometimes be unkind and can sometimes they're reflecting the opinions of their parents when they say unkind things and sometimes they're just saying what comes to mind because they don't know any better. Uh, how, how do the kids do? Um, I can tell you um, the majority from what we hear it's it's positive um, you know because um, you know kids are kids and and you know they just want to you know they want to have fun they want to learn while they're in school however in some of the more conservative areas of our country uh, we have we have had folks share with us um, that they're you know child is talked about or um, harassed or bullied because they're, they have parents that have two moms or two dads or even the child themselves identifies as LGBTQ. And so um, even though we've made great progress, we still have a lot of work to do. So that's where we, we come in and we, you know, we try and uh, work with um, others to, um, to promote that, that education and that information that, you know, that needs to get out. Talking with Ashley Broadway Mack, who's the founding board member, one of the founding board members, and the president of the American Military Partner Association. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Ashley. I'm in almost every school bus in classroom. You see me around the neighborhood, and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. Please. Visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me. We are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Bradafi. Just joining us, talking with Ashley Broadway Mack, who's one of the founding board members of the American Military Partner Association. She's also the current president. And we're talking about LGBTQ families and partners in particular. So we were talking about kids. And what are some of the, the activities that are going on? I mean, if, if somebody were to, to go to the website and they were to want to say, I want to get involved with this organization, what what's going to happen? Are there, are there chapters? Is there a newsletter? Uh, what sorts of things would would be available? Okay, through her uh, website, you can join and basically join and join and in, in tells that you you know you 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 know give us your name and your email and and basically how you um, identify whether you're an ally, whether you're a parent of an LGBT child, whether you're a same sex couple. That way, we we know you know what we need to do to, to, to assist you and possibly, you know, point you in the right direction. Um, we're a hundred percent volunteer organization at this moment. And so we rely on social media heavily, uh, uh, especially, uh, Facebook. So what we have is over 40, um, networks, private networks, private Facebook groups that we, uh, can put can put folks in. So like if you're in Okinawa, we have a group of folks from, you know, in Okinawa, I think almost um, 10 or 15, and they're able to connect socially. They support each other uh, when, when, when one spouse, you know, is deployed and so forth. We have a, a private network for our veteran families, our families who have kids you know, like me, so that we can, you know, we can, we have a, a safe place to go and, and, and chat with one another about issues or, or even sharing positive things that are happening in our lives. 
And what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing out there? Are, are there still, I guess, one, one thing, a challenge I'm wondering about is you, we started talking about how the organization was founded right about the time that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. So that particular law or regulation was repealed, but there still are a lot of people. I mean, I, I live in the, in the Bay Area near San Francisco, and there, there still are people who are, feel uncomfortable coming out, uh, particularly in the, in the culture of the military. It, it's just, it's harder. Um, so are are you facilitating that kind of a thing, that uh, somehow the word gets out to a service member who can come to you for assistance in in coming out or either maybe not coming out but figuring out how to how to have a life within you know, the, the kind of life that they'd like to have? Um, I, we rely on our, uh, you know, on each other, our members, our allies to get the word out about our organization. So when someone comes to us um, with these issues that we can, what we can do is we can give them um, the best advice. Just this week, I had a gentleman reach out to me. Um, he is uh, married to a woman, but he feels as though he is bisexual and he's confused. He has a lot of questions. And so what I did was... I, you know, kind of, I guess you could say, combed over our membership. I, even though we have so many members, I, I really try and get to know each one as best I can. And I paired him up with two different people that, um, uh, uh, males that identify as bisexual. One is actually in, um, a heterosexual marriage one now, right now. One has a previous heterosexual marriage just to talk to him because I obviously can't answer those questions. I, I've never been in that scenario. I don't know what he's feeling. Um, so having, you know, us as a resource, I think has helped tremendously. And so, um, you know, that's why we, uh, we, you know, we, we do what we do and we've continued, even though, you know, in the beginning, our, our, our biggest, you know, I guess target was, you know, marriage equality and equality within the uh, military. But um, we, we've, we've seen that there's still a need for us. And so as long as there's a need for us, we're going to be sticking around to help these folks. Now, one of the things that I've done a lot of reading on is is violence in the military and military sexual trauma, and one of the things that people don't quite see is that that there are the predominant number of victims of of military sexual trauma are actually male, and a lot of that is is same sex uh, trauma or harassment or something like that, uh, and, I, and there are plenty of also cases of of same sex female harassment that's going on. How do you deal with things like that that are not positive. Well, um, you know, again, we we try and educate our members as best that we can, uh, whether, you know, we see an article that is um, something that, that it contains vital information, studies that, you know, that contain vital information. And unfortunately, we have had a few of um, our members be sexually assaulted, um, you know, both same sex and, you know, by someone of the opposite sex. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an extremely difficult thing. So we have a network of, um, of, of resources that we try and match, you know, them um, to so that they can get the help that they, um, that they need. And is that fairly successful? I mean, are, are, do you find that people, most people are able to get their issues responded to in, an, in a way that helps them? Um, 
and you know to be honest with you this this isn't an issue that we hear you know we hear from our members a lot you know there there but there have been some um some circumstances i will say that the climate um still to this day even after all of the um you know the 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 what what the DOD has done, you know, to with their programs and so forth, people still are nervous to come forward. They're they're afraid that they're going to, um, you know, be reprimanded or you know they're that that they're going to somehow you know be be blamed for it and whatnot. And so um, you know, my the thing that 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 I feel is the most important is taking care of the the mind and the psyche of the individual. Um, as someone who is um, you know a sexual assault victim myself, is 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 getting the per- the help for the person, you know, and, um, you know, if, if they want to go forward with that, then we will, we, we will help them, you know, but, um, but unfortunately, I, I think that we still have a lot of work to do on this particular issue military-wide, not just with, um, you know, uh, LGBTQ community. Well, we also still have a lot of long way to go with just general acceptance within the Department of Defense. I mean, there still is the a fear that that I've talked to people about, uh, fearing that, you know, coming out is going to affect a security clearance mm-hmm. or something like that. And it, what do you what do you do in situations like that? In the beginning, that was a concern by many, many service members. What I believe has changed that um, thought is we have had uh, very strong, confident individuals of higher ranks, both in the officer corps and enlisted corps, be able to, um, you know, take that step out and be very proud and, you know, be their authentic self. And so uh, it helps the, the more junior enlisted or junior officer feel more um, comfortable seeing someone you know, who has been in for 15 years and who's made the rank of major or, you know, master chief. And, is you know, and, and here they are, they're living their life with their spouse or possibly with their kids. So I think that that, um, that is, you know, helped tremendously. However, with that said, there are still a lot of, a uh, f- lot of, lot of individuals, sadly, that are still closeted for that, you know, very, very reason. They're afraid that they won't get promoted. And, um, you know, that's, 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 that's real, that's still really unfortunate. And again, we do have a long way to go with that. Talking with Ashley Broadway Mack, who's one of the founding board members and also the current president of the American Military Partner Association. And the website is militarypartnerswithans.org. I'm Armin Brott. Hi, this is John Androsik of Five for Fighting, here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. You know, style is a personal thing, and your lifestyle is your business. But if you take it on the road, it becomes everybody's business. So please, plan ahead, designate before you celebrate. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents of Play segment. 
We are big fans of classic toys and games here at Positive Parenting, but we're also big fans of new tweaks on those classics. This week, we review several clever updates to games you know well. Cat Crimes from Think Fun. Remember the classic Clue game? You know, the one where you use logic and deductive reasoning to figure out who committed a grisly murder? In this game, you'll use the same basic skill set, analyzing paw prints, toy placement, and other clues. Cards give important details, such as that Ginger was sitting in front of the birdcage and that Tom Cat was to Ginger's right. By determining where each cat was sitting at the time of the crime, you'll eventually be able to finger the feline that committed such dastardly offenses as coughing up a hairball or swallowing your goldfish. For one player, age 8 and up, under $13, thinkfun.com. Cats and Kittens from Lawrence King Unlike traditional matching games, which have you put together identical pairs, or less traditional games that have you put together two halves of an animal or object, this one has you match an adult cat with its kitten. The instructions say to match the mother with the kitten, but honestly, can anyone really tell whether it's the mother or the father? The game features 25 breeds, which I never knew there were that many, including Russian Blue, Bombay, Tonkinese, La Perm, and British Shorthair. It's for ages 5 and up, costs under 15 bucks. You can find out more at lawrenceking.com. Fancy from Masterpieces. This one's a little like Yahtzee in that you roll dice to try to match what's on one of the 20 challenge cards. It comes in three sports-themed versions, hockey, football, and baseball, each of which includes dice with logos of all the teams in their respective leagues. It's a fun, fast-paced game. takes only about eight minutes to play. For two to four players, ages six and up, costs a little under $21. Masterpieceinc.com Laser Chess from Think Fun Okay, this isn't exactly traditional chess, but it uses some of the same spatial, logic, reasoning, and strategy skills, and the object is the same, to knock out your opponent's king. Instead of capturing pieces in the traditional way, you use lasers to do your dirty work. Players take turns moving mirrored pieces around the board. At the end of his or her turn, the player fires a real laser which bounces from mirror to mirror. If the beam hits a non-mirrored piece, boom, that piece is out. Hit your opponent's king, and you win. It's simple enough to be learned quickly, challenging enough to have won a Mensa award, and fun for everyone. It's for two players ages 8 and up, costs under $40. Thinkfun.com for more information. Shadows in the Forest from Thinkfun. Think flashlight tag, but without the risk of tripping over a tree root or running into an actual raccoon or coyote. The goal is to locate shadowlings, mysterious and presumably gentle creatures who hide in the forest and shun the light. One player is the seeker. The rest of the players are the shadowlings. While the seeker's eyes are closed, the shadowlings hide behind trees and various other obstacles on the game board. The lights are turned out, and the seeker opens his or her eyes, rolls a die, and moves a lantern through the forest. If the lantern illuminates a shadowling, it's frozen in place until it can be unfrozen by another shadowling. If all the shadowlings can gather together in one dark hiding place, they win. But if the seeker can illuminate the whole bunch at the same time, it's game over for them. Playing in the dark adds a fun, unique, immersive element to this cooperative, at least for the shadowlings, game. For two or more players, ages 8 and up, cost under $25, you can get more information at thinkfun.com. 
and you can get a lot more information and reviews of toys and games and great activities to do with your kids at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another show for you. But for more great content, just stay right where you are and listen to the rest of this Positive Parenting Show. All right, class, let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig floor for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome back to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brant, the founder of MrDad.com. Thanks for staying with us. Think of your least favorite subject in school. You know, the one you struggled to pass or perhaps even failed. Well, most of us who've been there assume that the subjects that don't come easily to us, well, never will. But what if you could train your brain to learn the hard stuff? In this part of today's show, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to break down the science of how our brains process and recall information, and we're going to talk about how to make the most of studying. As it turns out, we all have the tools that we need to master subjects that don't come naturally. The secret is understanding how the brain works so that we can unlock its power. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about why sometimes letting your mind wander is an important part of the learning process. How to avoid rut think in order to think outside the box. Why having a poor memory can actually be a good thing. And some simple, powerful ways to stop procrastinating. Our guest is one of the co-instructors of a couple of wildly popular courses on Coursera called A Mind for Numbers and another one called MindShift. Our goal, just like the goal for those courses, is to make learning easy and fun. And we'll start talking about learning how to learn when Positive Parenting continues right after this. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to sell all your belongings and live in a commune. These dungarees belong to all of us now, Tom. You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Barbara Oakley, who's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying, a guide for kids and teens, but it's also, for our purposes, a guide for adults as well. Uh, Barbara, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Armin. So let's talk about what it is that we don't know about how to learn, because I think as, as uh, you talk about in the book, and I mentioned in our introduction, that a lot of people who have difficulties with some sort of a subject just assume that, well, they are good at that anyway, and it's just never going to change. And so, But you talk about the idea that that's just not right. Oh, it isn't. And I can attest to that from personal experience. Um, uh, I was terrible at math when I grew up. I flunked my way through elementary, middle, and high school math. And at age 26, I decided to try to see if I could change my brain and learn math and science. So I started with remedial, remedial high school algebra, and now I'm a professor of engineering. So <laughs> it, it, okay. it, it, it uh, so well, it's really, really possible. All right. So what did you learn, though? I mean, aside from the mysteries of the quadratic equation. Well, I learned a lot about learning because originally I had I had thought um, that I could only learn language, maybe, because I had learned English at least, and I wanted to learn another language. So I enlisted early on in the in the army, and. Um, went to the Defense Language Institute and learned a language there. I studied Russian. And what I, what I ultimately found was the techniques I used to learn a language actually were very applicable for learning in math and science. There's, there's, it's a lot like um, sort of learning to play the piano. There's, mm -hmm. You practice with the scales, and similarly, you practice with the equations you're learning. And practice is really, I think, a key to learning in, in math and science. It's actually key to becoming an expert in any subject you might name. And, and I think that's sort of under-recognized sometimes when, uh, when we're learning in various subjects. You know, I have to tell you that, that we share quite a bit in common just from that last little bit there. I was in the Marine Corps and also went to the Defense Language Institute and studied Russian. And <laughs> when uh, when I got there, the first couple of weeks I was in the, the long course, the first couple of weeks I was doing okay. I was getting 85s and, you know, it was, it was probably a B average or something like that. And I was studying a huge amount spending all sorts of time studying and going and drilling and everything. And I just realized I wasn't going to be able to keep that up. And I cut back on the studying and never got anything lower than a 95 for the rest of the course. And <laughs> I, I wondered, because I, I was never able to fully articulate what it is that I stopped doing or that I started doing instead of doing something I shouldn't have been. But I, I, to, I just wanted to, I guess, throw that in there as... Yes, it's important to practice, but there is a point of, of decreasing marginal returns, to, to use an economic phrase, where practicing too much may actually hurt you. You, you are so correct. And part of what we know now is that if you focus really hard, but then take breaks, 
that allows your brain to consolidate and make sense and help you to better access those ideas later on. So my guess is that you were focusing really hard when you were studying, but then when you took a break, you really took your mind completely off it, which is actually the best way for these diffuse circuits to be able to work in the background. While you think you're not learning, your brain is actually doing a lot of learning. So how do you begin to get messages across to kids about different ways of approaching subjects that, that they don't take too naturally? Because the ones, I guess, that we take too naturally and do well in, we don't have to worry about those. Well, I think the, the best way for kids to approach it, I mean, really one of kids' biggest challenges and adults' biggest challenges in learning is procrastinating. And if you just are able to get yourself going with a little bit every day, you will learn so much more than if you cram a whole bunch at the very end. And the reason for this is because each day, let's say you do a half an hour on a subject each day, your little, your little neural connections, the dendritic spines on, on your neurons will start poking out. And then as you sleep that night, they will grow together and then look again the next day. And each night, as you, as you focus just a little bit during the day, each night, those neural connections of learning are actually uh, forming, taking place. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's that little bit every day that makes the difference. If you take one last peek before you go to sleep, it, it prompts your mind to know what to practice while you're while you're sleeping, hmm. and it helps strengthen those ideas. You don't quite have to study as much, and you don't have to be as anxious about what you're studying. So, so I guess it's really important that we distinguish between a couple of ideas, one of which is learning, and the other one is accomplishing a task. And, and I'm mentioning that because we interviewed somebody a year or so ago who was talking about procrastination, and there are certain people who do better. And I actually, I actually think after talking with her that, that I'm one of those people. I tend to put stuff off until the last minute, which gives me a lot of motivation to get it done. And then I get it done. But that's a, you know writing a book or writing an article or doing something like that, which is not necessarily learning something. So do you distinguish between those two things as well? I think that's a very perceptive point. It, when you already know a topic... Sometimes it's nice to procrastinate just because you're maybe you're still knitting together and gathering information, and then you can disgorge it all at once because you're prompted by that, a bit of stress. But if you're learning something, it's a very different process. You're, you're, that's when you're building the structures, and you do need to kind of keep up on it. You don't want to be procrastinating in what you're learning because if you try to do the learning at the last minute. There's only so many synaptic connections you can right. grow during a day and an evening, and you'll you'll make things difficult for yourself. So that really speaks to the idea of doing what you're talking about, doing ongoing learning instead of trying to cram for an exam, because that's it, you're it, trying to learn yep. everything in the last week or the last day or whatever. Right, and it's I mean that is so stressful that few people can actually learn under those conditions. 
And more than that, what you do learn isn't solidly put into place. You don't have good, solid, practiced neural connections that are rich and thick. It, they're, they're weaker. And so then when you're done, uh, what you learn just falls away much more easily. Uh, and that creates problems in the long term for whatever subject you're beginning to study. Now, what about studying with other people? A lot of people do well in study groups, and they talk about how it helps divide things up so that other people can, you don't have to learn everything at the same time. Does that actually help? I think the answer is it depends. Um, Sometimes it can be very helpful to study with others because what that can really do is tell you where your own approaches are wrong. You can Uh, sort of if you get one answer and somebody else gets another answer, you can go over it together. And that can be really helpful. Uh, At the same time, if you are approaching study groups as, well, I'm just going to copy the answer from Fred, then it is certainly not going to be very helpful for you. So, and some people are very, they're, they're shy, they're introverted. And when they get with groups, it actually makes them more nervous. So uh, sort of a balanced approach to learning where some group work and then some independent and individual work, I think, is is really a very the best approach. Do you think that some of the group learning has to do with the fact that you're teaching it also? And that, that the idea or the process of trying to explain something to somebody else helps to solidify the ideas in your own head? It, it absolutely does. And again, it depends on the kind of study group that you are uh, hanging out with. If it's a study group where kind of chatting is the big thing you do, <laughs> uh, it's not going to be very helpful. But if it's a study group where you're a little bit balanced, and maybe even there's, there's a person there who doesn't catch on quite as fast, but who you're coaching along, the whole group can benefit, especially if that one being coached is also really very highly motivated. Talking with Barbara Oakley, who's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Barbara. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn to spot a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. I'm Paul George. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Barbara Oakley, who's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying. I want to talk to you a little bit about building a memory, slick tricks you talk about in the book. And there you talk about a guy okay. named Nelson Dellis, uh, who was had a normal kid, a normal memory, and then was able to memorize two decks of cards, 104 cards in, in perfect order. And I actually read a book by a guy named... Uh, 
I can't remember his first name now, Four, F-O-E-R is his last name, who did something oh, similar. Josh who, Four. Right, Josh, yeah. who uh, won some sort of memory comp- competition like that, and I've marveled at that in a way. Uh, so what are some of the things that your average bear or kid can do to build a memory a little bit better, to, to be able to come recall information that seems to be scattered all over your head? One of the best tricks involves making whatever you want to remember remember, into a picture. Your long-term memory, there's sort of two ways to store information in your long-term memory. Uh, One relates to remembering facts like, you know, 1492 or whatever, a number or a year that you want to remember, some fact. Or if you want to remember an actual picture. And it turns out that pictures store a lot easier in your memory than facts do. So if you can convert uh, whatever you're trying to remember into some sort of picture, that can help lodge that idea much better into your memory. And if it's a moving picture, it can be even better. So if you're trying to remember numbers, maybe creating a little system for yourself of what those numbers look like. So seven might be a, a dog sitting up with his, his, his little arms coming out, and it's begging. So you're remembering that there's a dog. And then two might be a swan with a swan's neck. So 72 is, well, you know, you've got a, a, a dog and then it's being attacked by this swan. And suddenly those kinds of things, you can remember them more easily. Even let's say that you're trying to remember the biggest city in Africa. It's Lagos. So why not sort of think of a gigantic pile of Legos that is sitting right there in, in you know, where Lagos is in Africa. And that, that kind of helps you mm-hmm. to lodge that into memory a lot better. And those are the kinds of slick tricks that Nelson Dulles is successfully using. I'm sure that you read uh, Luria's book, The Mind of the Mnemonist. Yes. There, yes. there was... And I'm glad I don't have that kind of memory as the, as the mnemonist did. Yeah, because I, w- I was was thinking of, uh, he used this trick where he would he would memorize hundreds and hundreds of objects by scattering them in the town that he grew up again in he he would take a walk through the town and he would put the objects in front of various places and at one point it, the author named Luria uh, describes that the guy who had this incredible memory was when he was reciting back this list of 100 objects that he had he had memorized forgot one and he forgot an egg and so that Luria says, well, what happened? Why did you forget that? And he says, oh, you know, I, when I was walking back through the village, gathering up all the objects, uh, the egg was up against a white fence, and I didn't see it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you think, wow. I, I mean, just the, the idea that somebody could memorize that much anyway, but then th- that somebody could have a system like that is uh, the memory pretty remarkable. Is really a good one. It it's good for remembering things like lists and um, sequences of of items like numbers and so forth. 
um, so that's fantastic, and it simply involves placing whatever you want to remember or a visual reminder of that thing you want to remember in a place that you're very familiar with, like your house or the the uh, walk you might have or the drive you might have to school. Um, so it is a really powerful technique, um, but only for certain things. Right. Um, one of the things that I think people find most difficult is remembering people's names and when they're introduced. And so I think using visual techniques, which you never reveal to other people what the, that visual reminder is. For example, I often uh, tell people to remember me. I'm Barbara, Barbara Oakley. So uh, think of Barbara Streisand with her big nose. And I pretend I have a big nose and people always remember my name, even though my nose really isn't that big. <laughs> But Barbara Streisand's nose is fairly big. It is um, thought to be one of the reasons she's such a fantastic singer. Yeah, I know. I know. I remember reading something about her not wanting to have a nose job because she was afraid that it would affect her voice, which you can't argue with that kind of stuff, I guess. But yeah. No so, way. so how do you how do you prepare for tests? Well, um, studying well will get you very far. Uh, I always say that uh, when you're actually taking the test, you, um, you don't want to approach it the way everybody tells you to do it, where you just do the easiest problems first and then, um, and then go to the hardest problems at the end of the test. If you've prepared well by studying well, um, and by that, I mean, um, you really have the key ideas down and you've practiced with problems and so forth. Um, if you've done that, then your best bet when taking the test is to um, just start, look over the whole test and then start with the hardest problem first. But train yourself to pull off as soon as you recognize that you're stuck, which usually is after a, a minute or two on the hardest problem, and go work on your other problems, something easier. And then later when you return, remember when, when we were speaking earlier, we, we said it's important to take those little breaks because your mind is making sense of things during that time. Well, even when you're taking a test, that little break that you took from the hard problem, even if it's only five, 10 minutes, that's enough that when you come back to it, suddenly you can make more progress on that problem and often actually solve it, again, if you have prepared well. Well, I mean, it's just, it's the kind of thing that probably most of us have had an experience with when you can't remember something, you can't remember it, can't remember it, and all of a sudden you start doing something else and it pops into your head. Bingo. Right, it's you, exactly you've you've it. you've taken a break. You're you're moved on. You've forgot. You've decided to forget the whole thing to begin with, and then boom, there it is. Yep. Yeah. That and and that's what's going on. It's your brain has two completely different networks. One when you're focusing on something, and the other is when you're not focusing on that thing. And as long as you're focusing, you're blocking this other network, which is often the network that will allow you to get to what you were looking for. So what's the connection between toothpaste tubes and memory? <laughs> well, I sometimes say that a toothpaste tube is, if you're trying to
trying to put a fact into your long-term memory, it's like putting toothpaste back into a toothpaste tube. It's really hard to do. But if you are trying to put a picture in your memory, it's like just taping a picture of the wall. It is so easy to do. So uh, if you take, again, if you take any kind of fact that you're trying to remember and somehow convert it to a picture, for example, let's say that you've got, um, you're trying to remember Wanda's name. Well, if you remember Wanda having a wand kind of going right over the top of her head, that can help uh, you to remember Wanda's name much more easily than if you're trying to just stuff that fact of Wanda, the name Wanda, into your long-term memory. What's the biggest issue that you deal with when you're teaching that having to do with, with memory or with retaining information? That students often feel that if they simply understand something, that that's enough. Um, I, I, I remember I had a student come up to me once. He flunked this uh, test on probability and statistics that I'd just given. And he said, I can't understand how I could possibly have flunked this test. He waved the red line in front of me. He said, I understood it when you said it in class. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we've gotten so vested in this idea that understanding is the magic golden key and that if you just understand, you've got it, that we, we forget the idea that you actually don't really understand something until you've practiced with it and built those neural circuits that really are well connected, uh, that, that are the foundation of knowledge. Do you think that, that people really need memory in the same way that they used to? Because it seems as though with, with Google and the internet and calculators that there, there's, it's really more about learning where to get information as opposed to having it in your head. I think that's uh, that's an elusive and false mantra. Could you speak Russian if you just went to Google Translator? <laughs> of course you could not. No, there's a good, yeah. Uh, and it's it's similar for mathematics. Do you really understand how you know the language of math if you just go use a a computer to integrate the equation for you it is literally it is so very similar to of course you can't speak russian if you if you just go look up russian uh, you need those fundamental patterns in your head sure it's okay to offload some of it but if you offload all of it you don't really know the topic. You don't have a feel for it, yep. and you can go off and make goofy decisions as a consequence. Barbara Oakley is one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying. Barbara, thank you very much. Oh, thanks so much. And a special shout-out to the folks at Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They proudly serve the Armed Forces, Department of Defense, veterans, and their families. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.